I'm Luke Betger, and this is On Point. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to On Point. This is the podcast where I get to have meaningful conversations with church leaders from across Europe about life and leadership. Thanks for joining me today. We're on episode number four. So far, it's been going great. We've had people tuning in from all over Europe. Actually, we've had people tuning in from all over the world. It's been cool to see where people have been listening from. But mainly, we've been having people tuning in from Europe and it's been great to hear feedback from listeners, and we've been getting DMs on Instagram about how it's been impacting people. And so I just want to say thank you for that. If you're, you're listening right now, I want to say thank you for listening. I really, really appreciate it. And hey, why not take a moment and share it with someone? Send it to a friend, send it to a pastor, send it to a church leader that you know that could actually benefit from this podcast. It would really help us out. And I think it would also help them out. So feel free to do that. And uh, also, while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a huge difference with the algorithms uh, when we have reviews. And so we'd love for you to do that as well. It would mean a lot. Today, I have the privilege of speaking to Pastor Daniel Brolin. Daniel and his wife, Paulina, are the pastors of Life Church in Bangkok, and they're doing incredible things there, and it's amazing to see what God is using them to do. Daniel and Paulina were both born in Sweden. They have four children. They love Jesus. They have a passion to see his name preached. They've been involved in ministry and mission since before they were even married. Uh, their passion to reach people has led them to all parts of the world, certainly all across Europe, to do incredible things, um, all across even parts of the, the former USSR, Asia, and in 1998, they were actually kidnapped and held hostage by Chechen rebels in a drama that lasted for 165 days. And Daniel takes some time to really go into detail about how that was for them, how they remained strong and faithful through it all, and how coming out of that, they continued to pursue what God had for them when it came to life and ministry. And listen, it's an incredible, incredible story that I'm so excited for you to hear. So without any further ado... I'm now happy to welcome Pastor Daniel Berlin. Well, hey, Daniel, so good to have you here on On Point. This is a real privilege for me, and I appreciate you taking the time to join me today. I really do. Thank you, Luke. Thank you. It's, it's an honor to be with you. Now, wh where are you today? Where are you recording from? I'm actually recording from uh, a, a friend's grandmother's apartment in Sweden. <laughs> we're just here visiting uh, family for a few weeks, so right. and we're we're actually isolating at the moment due to our son's <laughs> COVID nineteen test testing positive. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love that. I love that you're in a friend's grandmother's apartment. I think that that. That that already takes top spot for places that a guest on this podcast has recorded. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think you have a, an absolutely incredible story and an incredible testimony of God's faithfulness and purpose, and uh, also an incredible story of just courage and strength and overcoming. And I'd love to get into a little bit of that with you, um, because I really think that there's a lot of leaders that can learn from your example in this. So I'd, I'd love to start maybe at the beginning a little bit, kind of where you were born and how you grew up. And I know that you grew up in a, a missionary family, um, but why don't you just kind of start at the beginning? Where were you born? How did that go? Yeah, so I, I was born here in Sweden, uh, in, in the Bible Belt of Sweden, <laughs> uh, in a small, small village. And uh, but my 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 parents were very involved in the local church, and it was it was a it was a great great small church. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, when I was three years old, we moved to Bangladesh. So wow. Bangladesh is like one of the poorest countries of the world. This was just after one of the big cyclones had hit, and. Uh, the churches in Sweden had decided to try to reach into that and then help. 
So my parents moved there. When I grew up, my, my, I saw my parents do mainly like relief and development work. Right. But I also knew there were things going on that I didn't see. And uh, due to Bangladesh being a very, you know, it's a Muslim country and very, very unreached. At that time, there was we were on an island in the Ganges Delta. Wow. And there, was, there, were, there were no known churches there. And... Um, by the end of you know two three years we saw you know we we were joining a church me and my family joining a church every now and then not very often because already from the beginning my my parents and the missionaries there made the choice to work really through the locals and to just support the leaders and and to protect the leaders and the churches by staying a little bit uh outside but still Right. involved in the leaders lives right so yeah but but even then when i grew up there i saw and i heard stories uh we really saw breakthrough the mission in bangladesh i mean it was many many years but at the end of it i was already a teenager and i heard stories of evangelists that went to villages and you know they were tortured to death um but their their testimony and their impact finally, you know, changing, and there were thousands of people being baptized. And um, but but these stories of people paying the ultimate price uh, kind of etched, um, you know, made a mark on my heart. And uh, yeah, and I, and I, and you know, as you know, then coming back to Sweden as a teenager and living here, and uh, I also saw. You know, saw the, the 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 need for Jesus everywhere, and I think I was only 11 when I, I made the decision to follow Jesus, and I got baptized. But then later on in teenage years, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and and I would say even when I moved here to Vesteros. It's when you know you you come up and you're questioned for your faith. You're in high school, and I was studying a lot of science, and and it made me study and build my own foundation of my faith. But it also made me understand that most people are not, you know, are not saved simply because of the barriers. It's not that it's not good enough. The gospel is good enough for anyone if people would just know the gospel. And so seeing my classmates come to know Jesus uh, and then, um, you know, of, of course, not everyone, but it made me realize, okay, I can make a difference. My, my voice, my, you know, and, and then uh, Pastor PJ moved to Vestros at the same time, your father-in-law, and... Uh, I, I had met him before we had visited his church because the church he's, he ministered at before coming here was not far from the church where I grew up. And so, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was a fresh wind. And the Holy Spirit was really doing something in the church at that time, especially among the youth. And uh, I met my wife in the youth. And uh, we, we really got to know each other on, <laughs> yes, we really got to know each other on the, in, in the trenches, <laughs> we said, because uh, we were out doing, you know, like evangelism yeah. or, or uh, you know, just caring for people after, you know, when the people coming out of the pubs and were handing out coffee and yeah. buns or whatever. And that's how we got wow. to know each other. And so... What, I mean, um, hey, that's a good place to meet someone, isn't it? <laughs> Doing a evangelistic yeah. <laughs> ministry outside of the pubs. I think, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, yes. And then we were part of, you know, we joined the church uh, even, you know, after graduating high school, uh, went to Bible college. Uh, we had this campaign with Reinhard Bonke across mm -hmm. Europe, handing out uh, books called From Minus to Plus. And... Uh, I I decided to to quit my job uh, and uh, and uh, just get engaged with reaching teenagers in that season. So working with churches on a volunteer base, just stepping out in faith, and then and then doing that. And at that same, you know, a few 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 uh, 
months later, we also had this sense that we already since begin meeting my wife, we had this sense that we wanted to go somewhere where the gospel was not preached. Right. And the Kavkaz region was, you know, it's it's on the border between Europe and Asia. It's um, it's a beautiful mountainous area. Uh, just north of Turkey and south of Russia, you've got Armenia, Azerbaijan, Georgia, a lot of hotspots uh, and, and a lot of like war zones right. uh, through the years. Yeah. Uh, but the gospel has not been preached there. So um, after working for a few months, volunteering with churches and outreach, we, we moved a year after being married, we moved to... to uh, to the Kavkaz region and traveled around for a few months, mm -hmm. visiting the churches that were there and just preaching. And I, I like, I, I think like those are big steps of faith every, every way along that journey, right? Like it, and it requires sacrifice and it requires courage to be able to even just do that and move there. Do you think like, was it your time growing up as a, as a child or was it what you saw? Like what, what was it that really sparked that in you that really like lit that flame and that desire to do that? I think it's about being, you know, all in, I'm kind of a, you know, most people, I'm kind of a laid back person in many ways. Okay. Uh, but, but there are certain things and values and then I'm all in. Uh, and, and then that's where that's where I think when we realize these are regions, these are areas where people haven't had the chance uh, and the stories I had heard from childhood and, and kind of like if, you know, if they've paid this price, why would I consider my life and my, my season? I think there are different seasons in life as well, and especially when you're young. I think there are you can take bigger risks, even if it's you know financially, investment, whatever. But also in the kingdom of God, there is something about that season where, where uh, um, you know we 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 were we were challenged and we took that step. And uh, obviously, we had no idea what we were you know heading into. We knew it wasn't safe. We knew it was you know we knew there were risks with it, but. Still, you, you're walking in faith and you kind of, you're not imagining the worst. Right. <laughs> you're trying to imagine the best. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. And then, uh, so you were seeing people getting saved. You were seeing incredible things happen there. Yes, we did. Uh, we, we were connecting with church networks and we found one church, amazing, it was started by some Americans. They were thrown out. And there was a former mafia guy who had become a pastor. So he'd been a pastor without no, you know, no formal training. Right. Uh, he's been a pastor for five years. He's been a Christian for six. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I love that. But, but yeah, but he, he, he really had a, an apostolic, you know, anointing over him. And, and he saw a breakthrough. He saw ch his church grow, but it also challenged uh, that area that was in Dagestan, which was, you know, coming out of the Soviet era, it was um, this was many years after, but still the uh, unemployment was really high. And then you had the Wahhabite movement in Saudi Arabia and Middle East that funded uh, a lot of Quran schools, and it's actually very like militant Quran schools. And this was a, you know, this had been a Muslim area and then communism had suppressed it. But many of these nations or ethnicities were kind of looking back at their roots. And so they're discovering this and they're getting paid more than a normal job to attend a Quran school where they're trained in Wahhabism okay. or, you know, very militant Islamism. And um, so when the church is then growing and the mafia is challenged because the power structures are changed, people are getting right. saved, um, the pastor was threatened uh, on gunpoint multiple times and uh, you know told to stop what he was doing. We had around 800 people in the Sunday services. We started a Christian school, Christian radio channel. Um, we, I mean, me and Paulina were not doing 
you know, hardly anything of this. We were just there to yeah. support the youth and to build the, the 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 leaders in the youth movement there. But then one night when we're going home from from a gathering of youth leaders, uh, just before we reached our our apartment, there was a guy who put a gun to my back and uh, you know pretended to be police, but you know took us hostage uh, put us in the back of a car with the gun to our head put uh, hoods over our heads tape over our mouth uh, handcuffs and you know we were driven out into the mountainous wilderness wilderness and then uh, you know it's a long story we've written a book hopefully it's in english soon but in the end uh, we were you know, sold from Dagestan into Chechenia, which was a war zone, and where you know more than 700 people were held hostage at that time. We were held in a dark basement, and uh, we we you know we were we counted the days as you do. Yeah, you know, you've seen the movies, and you you make a mark wow. on the walls. So we made marks, and it ended up becoming 100 and 165 marks. We never saw the sun. Uh, I was only let outside uh, at night, every other night, to empty the bucket in the corner of our basement that was our toilet bucket. And then uh, many times when I did that, I was also beaten, um, you know, kicked around. And, uh, yeah, mentally this was, you know, taking its toll and uh, just being in, just being in, in a dark basement with mm-hmm. mud floor, cement walls, uh, and it was very cold. This was in January. We were held for mm-hmm. you know five and a half months, so we saw the seasons pass. But um, this was this is this many many people right. didn't survive the kidnappings, uh, and uh, we we were you know by the grace of God we we not only survived but we also managed to come out of there. Um, with yeah. our with our mind in in you know intact, and it's only by the grace of God. And there there are certain things that helped us, I see. But uh, suddenly, you know, when you're put in this place, you realize: is it worth it? Uh, is this you know? Of course, we thought, started thinking of things that we could have done differently to keep safety higher and so on. But were, were were there were there moments there where you felt like uh, like giving up like you'll just never make it out i mean i i can only imagine that there would be uh yes and no there was there was you know one we knew we knew for example we knew that the pastor the baptist pastor there was only one church in grozny a, a bigger city in chechnya the capital of chechnya and there was only one evangelical church, one Orthodox and one Baptist church. And we knew the Baptist pastor lasted okay. not more than six months at a time. Like they would take down the, the leadership. And so they would be killed, executed. They would find the pastor's head on a pole in the marketplace. And this is a brutal place. Um, and these people are, you know, these, these, they call themselves the Daesh. Uh, so the beginning of ISIS and many of the leadership from the Chechenia military resistance was also the, you know, the founding leaders of, of the ISIS military branch. But so these were hardcore. And of course, we, we knew we, we had gun to our head. I had a knife to my throat. I had machine gun under my chin. It was a lot of these things going on. And we knew this is right. This is this is on the edge, uh, and I mean, when we they, they took us, we were shaking off fear, and and uh, but it was something that I think you know when you start pray and uh, you know as as hardcore Pentecostals we pray in tongues when we don't know what to say, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we just we just pray, and this even though our bodies were in shock, there was this sense of peace from God that flooded our hearts. Wow. And as we were in this dungeon, uh, 
I was reminded of a birthday card that I had received one month before we were kidnapped. So my sister, she had written a card and usually she writes very beautiful cards, but she had scribbled a Bible verse in the corner. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I just remember this verses very clearly. And so I, we had our, a bag with our Bibles. Um, they had taken it from us, but we'd asked it back and they finally agreed to give it back to wow. us. So. So we looked up, and it was uh, reading from Isaiah 51, uh, and I, I don't remember now, but I think it's verse 15 or 14, and it says, The covering prisoners will soon be set free. They will not die in their dungeon, nor will they lack bread. Wow. So this, this is, you know, there's only one verse like that in the Bible, yeah. and that's the verse that we looked up very early, like first few days. And it was a promise. So we held on to that. We said, okay, we will not die. We will soon be set free. And uh, yeah, so that I think that kept us, you know, that kept uh, a very, like a very firm hope, mm. um, the, prom the promise of God. So even though sometimes emotionally, especially after being beaten and uh, in the end, it was, I was worn out in the end. I can yeah. say like um, mentally I was about, you know, I was on the edge. But having these promises, you know, kept us looking forward. Right. And I think many times, I mean, all of us, we've gone through this pandemic this past years or, you know, one year. And there's been different how it's been handled all around the world. But I think... In a, now with the vaccine rolling out, we have a bit of hope, and that that makes us, you know, able. Like in in Thailand, where we're now, where we're working now, we we managed very well right. the first year, and we were able to open up pretty early. But now the third wave has kind sure. of hit the country. But at the same time, you have the the vaccine rolling out, so I, I sense like there's there's this hope in the right. middle of the lockdown, and I think it, it it relates a bit to where we were as well. Uh, we were we didn't see the light in the tunnel, but we had the, yeah. this Bible verse. But then you you know you know how it is. Once you you hold on to promises for a very long time, and then you can't really see any progress. You 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 battle with doubt and fear, and and you wonder what was you know. But uh, yeah, I, I I think really what kept us sane is we tried you know, to keep ourselves activated in different mm -hmm. ways. We talked a lot together, me and my wife, made sure we, we didn't grow silent. We talked about memories. We talked about trying to keep up with the calendar on the outside mm -hmm. world, what's going on. Um, we we made some, you know, you know right. even games, playing games, uh, and, and talking about, you know, anything like what to eat sure. or what we were longing for to eat because we didn't have you know we made our own food they brought a few potatoes right. every week some rice and we made a soup we had bread yeah. just like this bible verse said like we had bread every day so brain was our main staple but then you know just keeping our mind active but reading the bible and I know it might sound cliche, but for us, the, the three things that made us through was, you know, connection points with God. It's our prayer, it's our worship, and it's our Bible. So singing worship, you know, you don't have you don't have a you don't have the atmosphere of a, of a church right. service that we all long for. You know that that yeah. powerful. You know, when you you know, when when there's a big gathering of yeah. praise and worship, there's something very powerful in that. But there's also something powerful when you just, you know, with your heart, and you know, you just sing, no matter how it sounds. Uh, you sing and you sing the declarations of faith. So for us, worship songs that are praise songs that are declarations, Amen. and uh, uh, those. Uh, we found them more in the faith movement here in Sweden, but those were the songs that were revived in our hearts when mm -hmm. we were kidnapped. It was songs of victory, songs right. of you know, almost defiance uh, to, to the circumstances. Those were the songs that kept us fresh. And then, yeah, and then reading the Bible, of course. Uh, but yeah, that's that's, and I think even now when we've been out on the mission field and you're leaving and you're alone and and you know, there are different challenges we all go through in life. I think 
you know, being reminded of, okay, prayer, worship, and, you know, the Bible. If we keep those things, we can, we can come through almost anything. Amen. So <laughs> now it's back to the basics. And it really is the basics, isn't it? But it's so amazing how that is totally transforming and how it can totally yes. rearrange your life and your spirit and your mind. And I, I, absolutely. I think that that's such a powerful thing. When you were in this dungeon, um, the Swedish government, were they working on your behalf outside to free you? How, how, how did you end up getting out? Yeah, it's amazing. Um, of course, the Swedish government, uh, you know, took some actions, but they're they're not, you know, they're not officially helping any kidnappers, right? Uh, in any way, like financially or so. Uh, but we had an amazing church that had sent us out, and so some pastors that were, you know, normal pastors, and some laymen in the leadership uh, were they created a task force. And Pastor PJ was one of them. There were others. And, you know, they, they started working. And there was a miracle, miracle story, really, how we got hold. They, they got hold of a, of a, of a connection uh, that had great connections in there. So it's an in, informal connection. And through that informal connection, through the church and the church pastors and leaders, negotiations were started and you know contact made and um, you know the government did a great job but in some ways the police when we talked with the police afterwards they said that maybe what the government did was contraproductive it it counterproductive right. it made you know but when the church came in more yeah. informal ways it it was uh it was also speaking a little bit more of the language of the yes. clans uh, of Chechenia. It's a tribal, tribal, you know, land, and but they and they understand a certain right. kind of language right. better than others, and so, you know, thanks to these heroes that worked and you know made a way and also risked their lives by traveling to the region. Uh, eventually, we were, you know, able to be released. And, uh, and uh, yeah, coming out of there, we had no idea. But when coming to Sweden, we realized it's been a huge media media thing here. Like normally kidnappings are not that right. huge in media due to the safety. But for some reason, this just took, took a different spin. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it was overwhelming to see the love and the care and all that, yeah. you know, that side of it. And uh, at the same time, we had to kind of take a time to make sure we're healed and we're getting back into a normal life, not just keeping and building our identity in being, you know, the, the victims. Right. But we're moving on. And uh, so we had good counsel, good help. And, uh, and uh, we also had opportunities to share the good news and the gospel on, on you know, on prime time tv multiple wow. times over and over and over again and we had some of the you know the most famous journalists when we shared you know they're sometimes very hard against christians sure. but they were they were in tears and they had you know not much to say because it's a personal testimony so the, the power of the personal testimony is really clear there mm. when when and so of course god took this and used his used it for his glory mm. Um, but, but, um, you know, there are a lot of questions we, we never get the answer to on this side of eternity. No, and, of course. And we have to learn how to live with that and to move forward. And for us, I think also coming back to Sweden and then, you know, starting the church together with, with starting a new church together with Pastor PJ and, and the team really helped us to, to stay looking forward and to stay you know, right. remembering what we're here for. So, yeah, because I was going to ask you about that. I mean, how, like, how when you get out of that situation, it's like, um, yeah, like almost how do you move on? How do you continue to uh, remain in ministry? How do you push forward? How do you do that? So, I think that's interesting that all of a sudden you. You, you know, you had something to focus on and you had a real purpose there coming out of that. And and that, this would have been the year 2000, I guess, right? 21 years ago now? Yes. Roughly? Yes. yes. So, 
So actually, on on uh, when we came back from from the kidnapping, we we took a year off, uh, kind of not not working full time ministry, but taking normal jobs, yeah. and uh, you know, our biggest dream was to have kids, and something totally. that grew very strong in, in when we were kidnapped. It's like okay, now our lives were taken away. We're, the longing to have to have children was was also stronger than before, and. Okay. And then um, we had uh, our firstborn, and uh, we we then we started working in the church again, and uh, then we started the church, uh, you know, the church plant. Yeah. And I think that all those things, both having kids, you know, moving forward with that, getting even getting back into a normal job. I was a teacher for a year, mm-hmm. and uh, just being, you know being being yourself being you know and getting getting totally. into a normal swedish life yeah you know and just uh, going to the grocery store yeah. just yeah like yeah, those yeah. types of things yeah yeah it, it was it was good it helped right. us it grounded us and then at the same time dreaming of you know missions yeah we we were very we knew very clearly we were not supposed to go back uh this is uh, maybe the biggest sorrow for us emotionally coming back to Sweden was that we had envisioned ourselves and the ministry so much in the Kavkaz region. So coming back, it was really hard to let go. And, and we really had to have, you know, a, a, a divine direction, not right. only suggestions and, and so on. And, and we both received that, both me and Paulina. So we were safe. And, and then we knew we were here to s- stay and be planted and serve yeah. for a while. Yeah. And so it was exciting to start church from scratch. It was another adventure, you know. And at that time, I mean, there were there were not many Swedish churches being planted, and and it was you know it was a bit controversial in some sure. ways. But uh, we had uh, an amazing time to see people, and especially young people, uh, you know, being saved. And I think working alongside in that church plant. Uh, for for seven years, uh, pioneering, saw financial miracles, yeah. the venue, the building that we yes. bought, all those things. You know, walking alongside Pastor PJ, his faith and his heart for reaching people, the rel- like being relevant, not in the sense of I mean, relevance has become almost a, <laughs> a, a word that just we we equal with with cool lights and stuff but it's it's about meeting needs right and i think the church you know finding ways of how do we reach people uh, normal people that are not interested in going to church why aren't they and then finding those barriers and reaching through them um, just being innovative being all those things uh, really you know uh, laid also a foundation for us Uh, and yeah we saw people from different cultures, backgrounds, all walks of life uh, coming to to Jesus, and uh, you know Him changing them and changing us. And, well, I mean, yeah, I'm an adventure, uh, and I'm thankful for the legacy that you have, con- th- what you deposited in Life Center Church, where I'm now a campus pastor, and in, in many ways I get to continue to build yeah. on the foundation <laughs> that that you were a part of laying in those beginning years. And I just think that's such a cool thing. And, um, and, and, you know, even for my wife, Victoria, of course, like when she first got into youth, like you were, you and Paulina were her youth pastors. And she talks about how her faith was like totally stretched in that time and, and how God was doing such incredible things. And, you know, she was seeing friends come out to church. I think she, I think that there was like a, yeah, she tells a story. She tells a story that, yeah. that there was a contest. That <laughs> you said that one of the youth could shave your head or something like this if they brought the most amount of friends. Yeah. And Victoria's like, I'm going to win this. And she did. Yes. And she got to shave your head or something. <laughs> yeah. It was actually my, one of my neighbors up in the, my summer house. He's a very, very successful like graphic designer and marketing. And so he he's my you know i don't know how you say he's a relative anyway and i was inspired by him so he had long hair 
and he had said he wouldn't cut his hair until he had made the cover of Vogue. Like, until he had designed the cover of Vogue, he wouldn't cut his hair. <laughs> and then the next summer he came with short hair, and he had made the cu- and he had made the cover of Vogue, and uh, you know, and so for me then I was challenged. So I said, I'm not going to cut my hair until we're 200 in, uh, on our youth gatherings. Come on, and uh, and then uh, I said, you know, we had reached around 200, 250 a few few uh, events with the youth. So I said to the youth, I said, so next next Friday, whatever it was, Saturday or Friday, I don't remember. Next Friday. If we're over 200, the person who brings most friends can cut my hair. Come on. <laughs> and, and I had long hair by then. Right. <laughs> this, is not just, this is not just short <laughs> hair getting a trim. This was like full on. No. <laughs> wow. And I think, I think it was a Saturday and it was late Saturday night. And yeah, Victoria had so many friends with her and she oh, got man. cut my hair. She was amazing. They were amazing in... in uh, in the youth victoria was always so always on fire i think you got a great great girl there the absolute best i mean truly i can't even every (laughs) day i'm so thankful and i think god what did i do to deserve victoria as a wife (laughs) like who am i it's uh yeah yeah, it's 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 incredible but it's uh, favor it's favor that's that's all i can say but okay so you know you're pastoring seven years and Obviously, now you're a pastor in Thailand. How did that happen? Like, yeah. how, how did you get there? Yeah. So, uh, you know, as I told you, the hardest thing was to kind of bury this this vision of doing missions in Kavkaz. Mm-hmm. And then working here was a joy. Working in Sweden was, a, I mean, it was hard work. Yeah. It was steps of faith and all of that. Um but uh, into into that road, I think around seven years into that road, it was like we call it Lazarus was awakened in our hearts. Wow! It was like one summer, and and, and the first thing I did after, uh, you know, that summer was talking with PJ, uh, coming both of us coming home from vacation, and I said like this summer has been God has been just speaking about these things of missions and nations, and you know, and and. But I said, we, we don't know when, we don't know where, but we want you to be informed that we might not stay forever. And, right. uh, you know, we want to hear your input on it and so on. And then two years later, um, we were sent out into to go to to Thailand. It was actually on Valentine's Day and God spoke very specifically. I, do, I think, I, I rarely speak about it because I think it can be... You know, we, especially in the charismatic Pentecostal circles, we almost Mm -hmm. make it into, uh, uh, sometimes we over-spiritualize things. Yeah. And we make, you know, you have to hear the voice for whatever. I think most of the things we need to know is already written for us. Yeah. And when we obey that, God will will lead us along the road, right? But for us and with our background i said to god now i had four kids our our, our fourth son who had just been born and uh, we we said i you know i need to know where to go i i can go anywhere as long as i know yeah. it's god's will so i was asking god for very specific directions and i think god had grace with us because of we had what we had gone through and uh, on that Valentine's Day, God gave me a word as I was praying, and it was the word krumtep. And I had no idea what it meant, like krumtep and shemriap. And none of these things made sense. I thought, oh, this is a new, you know, new language in tongues. <laughs> no, but I also I, I also sensed that there was there was uh, something deeper, something like this is a place. Yeah. And so the next day I, I went to bed and I said, God, if this is from you, I'll remember tomorrow morning. And when I woke up the next day, I just had this very clearly in my head. Wow. So I was praying, asking God for what it meant or where it was. And eventually I Googled it and I found out that in Thai language, they don't say Bangkok, but they say Krung Wow. So the actual word of the city is Krung Thep. And um, yeah. Wow. So six months, six months, six, seven months later, no, six months later, we moved, we'd sold everything 
and uh, we had raised support. We had churches like Life Center and others stepped in and backed us mm-hmm. up, believed in the vision. Um, and we moved. We knew no one, knew nothing. We knew no, you know, no, no nothing of the language wow. came there. And uh, the first thing that happened is I had a very fancy, you know, smartphone. Yeah. And within five five minutes of landing, before even coming to immigration, it was stolen. Uh, we we our kids started crying when we're standing in in front of immigration because they had huge statues like these are idols that are like seven meters tall, and my kids were just crying at the sight of these idols, and so it, it was a spiritual yeah. battle we landed in, and. Uh, and, you know, just getting, finding housing, all of that. We had looked at some things online, coming to Thailand, realizing that most of these things were just baits right. that were online. There were no, not nothing, no substance to the, to the, to the ads that were online. And so we had to, you know, find lodging and traveling around, trying to find a house. Uh, I remember I was bitten by a wow. dog while looking for a house. It was just, you know, yeah. cr- crazy days. But um, yeah, and then we found a house. Within two weeks, we had burglars breaking in, uh, taking all of our valuable stuff. Uh, so it was it was a tough welcome. We'd never have it since then. I mean, Bangkok right. is safer than Sweden. Bangkok is, you know, at sure. least that's how we feel now. We've never seen anything like it. But but it was like the first year, even. With you know Bangkok and Thailand has been been uh, famous for its its uh, the prostitution industry right. the sex industry and even the first year we lived in a suburb just because we wanted to emerge in the Thai culture and the Thai language so we lived where not many people right. spoke English at all and um, trying and you know studied Thai uh, you know getting our kids to school all of those things and then. Uh, uh, the first year we were offered, you know, with, when my wife was with me, I was offered, you know, taxi drivers wow. would sell their daughters. They would say things like, "My, my, your wife looks tired here. I, you can have, you know." It was just, yeah, it was just demonic. Um, anywhere we would go, and it was demoralizing in that sense. So the first year was very tough. Then the second year, for some reason, it all kind of stopped, and we wow. we didn't have those things anymore. But um, you know, we we had this vision of seeing people being saved, so we started reaching out to people from landing and uh, everywhere in Thai culture. They're very polite; they're smiling at you, and you think, "Wow, they're really open." But right. no one responding, no one, you know, no traction. And uh, so, after six months, uh, we're we're going into prayer, and uh, I sense God leading us to take a fast, so one week fast. And uh, and uh, by the end of the week, we wow. saw three people receiving Jesus. Uh, so we prayed for for three three ladies who gave their hearts to Jesus. And the following week, so this is almost a year after God called us. So on on, on Valentine's Day, God spoke to us, and on Valentine's Day the following year, we had wow. our first baptism with five people being baptized. And then it was just like after this fast period of fasting, uh, we really saw a breakthrough. So we fasted for only a week, but the following, you know, two, three months, we saw 23 people come to Jesus and uh, we baptized. And yeah, there was the birth of the church, but, you know, working in a big city, it was demoralizing because, you know, within a few months, most of these people have moved out. (laughs) And we had like three, four people left. Uh, so, so this is the story, you know. And that's how it's been for years and years and years. We see people come to Jesus. You take care of them. You serve them. And there are some of yes. them that turn out to become pillars and leaders. And now, now we've been there for, for we celebrate our 10th anniversary in August with the church. We've been there for 14 years. But wow. officially, we started the church four years into into being yep. there because we had to learn the language and we right. had to build a team. And first we had to win the team. So reaching out to people. And then when we were around 50, 
we launched the church uh, yeah. when we had 50 in the like like the team they were already on board and um, yeah it's been it's been a, it's mm-hmm. been a battle but praise god it's by his grace you know we have big dreams we have big faith but it's always right. about the small steps of obedience like the the things that sometimes are awkward sometimes it's like you know it's it's uh, just holding on to the staff it's beating the rock with the staff or holding the staff over the waters and god makes a miracle but you're you're part of it you're doing something of obedience and i think that's where we miss out many times we're praying for revival but we don't dare to do those small things like reaching out to people one of our one of our core leaders now i'll tell you the story he he we met him because uh, I was late. I was early to to the hairdress to to the barber, and it was inside a shopping mall. It was closed, and uh, when I was going yeah. to meet him, when I wasn't going to meet him, God planned to meet him. I wasn't planning to, but you know, just God urging my heart to speak to this guy standing on the steps to the shopping center. And we were we were walking uh, away from it, but God called us back to the steps. And so I walked up to him, started talking to him, and uh, and it felt awkward, you know, making right. that first contact. And what a you know, this is a stranger. How do I talk with him? But just starting to reaching out and building a relationship, building a bridge. I think ministry is many times about building a bridge, and then we have an amazing package, but without the bridge we can never deliver the package and so building that bridge of of just trust and uh, it took he he kept he kept contact it was like some god things Uh, and uh, he kept contact we prayed with him we baptized him you know he 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 was experiencing incredible persecution but he grew up and now he's leading our church in Cambodia, where we started a church now five years ago, and we just had our first venue. We hand out, you know, food to thousands of people. There's the 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 drug rehabilitation center of the city. The police has asked us to take over the the train or the the rehabilitation program. So every week we're there preaching, and we've seen more than four hundred interns because it's more like a prison than a rehab but we've seen more than 400 being baptized just the past two years and it's all through one step of obedience on the stairs of a shopping mall that uh, i get to be part of this miracle we get to be part of these things you know it's it's like we we play a small part but it's guarding god has a big vision and i think we should have big visions but never underestimate the obedience in the small steps. That's fantastic. I think, uh, I mean, honestly, I'm learning so much from you right now, even just hearing these and it's actually, uh, it's even stirring me, you know, as, as Victoria and I have moved to a new city and as we are building and, and really, um, you know, especially post COVID now, it's like, okay, what's the state of the church? What does this look like for us now? And how do we reach this city? And I've been just thinking about that even just the last few days and just kind of being a little challenged by it and even being a little worried by it, if I can be honest. And so even just hearing you say that, it's like, right, just, hey, look for these little steps. Because I can get ahead of myself sometimes. And I think, oh, what's like the big, huge thing? What big event do we need to do? What do we need to... But it's like, hey, how about just a small step of obedience and just trust God? Yeah. And I, I love I love those big events. We we are trying sure, to make sure. like our goal is to make the biggest Christmas event in Bangkok. Come on, and I it's a huge that. like when we started doing that, we were a small church, uh, but we you know we got miraculous, miraculous. It, you know we got wow. promotions on the SkyTrain stations. Cool. We had you know it was amazing, but it all comes back long term. You can't build church on that. You right. can do something of, you know, it builds a bridge, even that right. builds a bridge. So we have people that are now coming to our church because some of their friends brought them there. They heard there were seeds planted. And so now they lo- know when they're in the situation or they're looking for something. So even during online season, 
we had people that had never been to church that you know they had been to a christmas event and so they they were friends with us on facebook and so when we started streaming services they joined there they ended up joining a connect group on on zoom and uh, then we had a baptism party and (laughs) i i think dreaming big but being really obedient in the small things knowing that we built most of the time you know churches built in the small things well listen daniel i just want to thank you for joining me today and taking the time and sharing your story and, and your testimony. I mean, it's powerful, man. It's, uh, uh, did you say that your book is getting translated into English? Uh, we're working on okay. it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working on it for far too long. Bro. But I, pray for us. I, in that. I, I will. Let's, let's do it. I will. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd love to read it in English, well, but maybe I'll read it in Swedish. I think I could, I could get by. Yeah, you should. I could get That's by. good. It's good. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But, um, yeah. but Hey, I appreciate you, man. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure PJ has a copy somewhere. <laughs> I guarantee he's got actually, copy. they're sold out. They're sold out in Swedish. Oh, so okay. I'm thinking of how we can get them. <laughs> it's in. a rare book. Yeah. But thank you, Luke. Thank you, Luke. And I really appreciate what you and Victoria are doing in, in, uh, in Europe mm-hmm. and, um, lean shopping is, is, you know, I'm, uh, we follow Life sure. Center. It's part of our family. Yeah. So we're really excited for what's what God is doing and doing in and through you. Well, thanks, man. I, I appreciate it. And uh, uh, I'm cheer- we're cheering you guys on and we're inspired by you all the time. And so uh, uh, we'll, we'll continue to stay in touch. Be blessed, man. And again, thanks for taking the time today. Well, hey, I told you that that was a great conversation. And I don't know about you, but I just feel like my faith is so stirred. And when it com- comes to building church and planning church and equipping leaders, I mean, it really puts it all into perspective, doesn't it? Um, how easy it is for me to get into my car and drive to our church building and have a meeting with some people. And I don't really have to worry about a gun being put to my head or about being kidnapped or anything like that. Meanwhile, Daniel has been through so much. Yet he just comes out full of faith and just with his eyes on Jesus every step of the way. I am so inspired uh, by Daniel and his story, by both him and Paulina and what they're doing and what they're building. Make sure if you don't, you follow Daniel on Instagram. His Instagram is at Brolins, B-R-O-L-I-N-S. Give him a follow to stay up to date with everything that he has going on. And thank you so much again for listening to On Point. If you like this episode, please subscribe share it with somebody, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a difference. And let's continue to get the word out uh, about this because we want to continue to offer a platform for European church leaders to share their experience, their wins, their losses, their stories, so that the rest of us can learn. Until next week, be blessed.